The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guest's thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories, which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. Welcome to Kavah, a podcast about hope in hopeless times. Today, Terry Hoover continues her life story, sharing how she found hope in her darkest night. Broken is not even the word. I mean, it is so, there is nothing. And I have buried right cousin, father, two uncles, all in the same year. My dad and his two brothers, all three got killed in the same year. Wow. Uh, my first husband, um, friends. I buried a lot of people. All my grandparents, you know, I, I buried a lot of right. people. There is nothing like no. burying, your, burying your child. Nothing. Terry faced a question that has haunted people throughout history. What do you do when a good God lets bad things happen? Jake starts driving his uh, first week he got a speeding ticket mm-hmm. and um at that point he had decided that he wanted to go live with his dad he had never lived with his dad and he had decided he wanted to go live with his dad not because of the speeding ticket it was right before right that. but anyway he decided he wanted to go live with his dad and um so they called me and said you know jake got a speeding ticket you know what do you want to do and i said well you know there has to be consequences he just got his license and uh, dad is a little more um, laid back on those kind of things than I am, I guess. And so then he had a wreck. And um, I think there was another speeding ticket all in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So I, as a mom, mm-hmm. was uber concerned. Right. And uh, but when you're the. The parent that only sees him every other weekend, mm-hmm. you don't. Ha- I can see now mm-hmm. how hard that is for dads, um, because you know it's hard to take away your child's uh, right to drive when that means you give up your right and you have to start taking them everywhere again. Right after you just got done with driving right. them for sixteen years, so I- I'm sure that played into it to some degree. Um, Jake had a lead foot, and mm-hmm. he liked to drive fast, and obviously he had two speeding tickets already. Um, but my gosh, what a great kid. He would come to our house. I mean, 16, 17, 18 years old, he still came to mom's every other weekend and mm-hmm. spent the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, he would usually come during the week and at least come one night and go out to mm-hmm. eat with us. When he came to our house on the weekends, he always went to church with us. Mm-hmm. Um, loved his brothers. Oh, yeah. my gosh. He would call all the time just to see, you know, what the boys were doing and um, Eli was very funny when he was little and mm-hmm. he's still very funny, but he was very funny. And so he would call and say, what, what did Eli do this week? And you know, what's Gage doing? And, um, so fast forward, Gage is probably, well, Gage is nine and Eli's six. And, um, it was Christmas 2005 and my grandmother had not been doing well. She lives in East Texas and we knew it would be my grandmother's last Christmas, so my mom wanted us to all come, so we go, and Jake drove his own vehicle, 
And so that morning before we left our house, I had this little book at my house and I said um, I would read a question every morning and they had questions for toddlers. It had questions for middle schoolers and questions for teenagers. So Jake's question that morning was, um, when you get married, what what will your spouse be like? And he said, she'll be just like Leslie, which is the girl he's dating at the time. And uh, he said, she's so, she's so kind and fun and beautiful. And, you know, of course, he told me mm-hmm. all these things about her that morning. And <clears throat> and I had only met her a couple of times at that point. And um, so, anyway, we get in the our vehicles and we go to my grandmother's and um, we get there. We had a great day. My brother and his family were there. My, my cousins were kind of in and out. And um, uh, my grandmother was just tickled that we were there. Mm-hmm. As much as she could show it, she was very crusty, right. so she didn't really show a lot of emotion. But um, I took some great photos of, mm. of Jake with my grandmother and, um, you know, just everybody. You yeah. know, just took pictures. And we always, when we were at grandmother's house, on the way out the door, she had a big sweet gum tree in the front yard. And we'd all mm-hmm. just kind of get in front of that tree yes. and take pictures. It was just kind of the tradition. And um, anyway, took pictures. He gets in his um, blazer or whatever he was driving, blazer, I think. And uh, drives off. You mm-hmm. never think another thing about it. Um, and mm-hmm. we ended up being there another hour or so. We left and went to my aunt's house. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom's grandmother had been sick. Mm-hmm. And she's old, too. So my mom and I are sitting on the sofa. And Tom gets up and goes and takes a phone call. And uh, he comes back to the room. And he summons me to come out. And... Um, my mom goes, you think something's wrong? And I said, oh, it's probably his grandmother. She's been really sick. Mm-hmm. And um, Tom handed me the phone, and he held on to me, which was weird. He mm-hmm. that's, not his, that's not who we are, you know. And he held on to me, and it was my ex-husband, and he was sobbing. And he said, Jake's been killed. And I was like, what? And... You know, I um, began screaming, punching the walls, punching mm-hmm. the air, punching Tom. Uh, oh, I don't even know the things that I said. I mean, um, I, I'm out of my mind, literally out of my mind. I'm like, you have no, it was like zero to a million miles yeah. an hour because you cannot even, your head cannot wrap around the fact that mm-hmm. your child's been killed. Like, what, what, is, what are you talking about? Um, I started um, gagging. I ran to the bathroom, yeah. and, I, and I just started throwing up. I locked the door because by this time, my entire family is screaming and crying. And yeah. uh, my brother took my little ones outside to try to keep them out of the crazy. And um, my aunt, my mother, my brother and his wife and their two daughters everybody's screaming and crying and I'm literally laying in a bathroom floor with the door locked they're beating on the door trying to get in and I am I'm out of my mind yeah I'm, I'm literally out of my mind um vomiting I'm still like you know how could this this can't even be I've got to see my child I've right. got to see my child right. so after Tom kind of gets everything under control as much as he can um, finds out where they have flown Jake's body because they care flighted him. I guess he 
Uh, they thought he would live. I don't know what they thought. I don't even know. Uh, and Tom kept so much from me just because mm. of the nature of what happened. Um. Anyway, um. So we got in the car and we drove to um, Mesquite. I don't know Memorial Hospital or whatever. And um, we pulled up, and um, our life group from church was there. And all my employees. And um, when we got out of the car, before we went in, um, somebody, I don't know who, somebody from our life group said, can we just all gather around and pray first? And um, we had a circle of, I don't know, 25 people maybe in the parking lot of the hospital. And we prayed. And... um, my ex-husband showed up with his wife, and they were all alone. And um, so my people gathered them up in the group, and um, we got ready, and we went into the hospital. And it was just a—it was such a surreal experience. You walk in. First of all, it's mesquite, and they had wrestling on the TV in the waiting room. Mm. I don't know why I remember that, but mm-hmm. there was wrestling on the TVs in the waiting room. The, it was— um, the day after Christmas. It was the 26th of mm-hmm. December. And um, the waiting room was packed. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came out immediately and, and got us and said, you know, we have Jake back here. So we walk down this hallway and we walk into the room. And it becomes so real, so fast. Um, there's my child. And... Um, and uh, his, one of his eyes wouldn't close all the way. And so it just bothered me. I just wanted his eye to close. So, um, I just needed to see him. And yeah. so we, um, I guess that was body identification or whatever. So we identified his body. Then we started the process of getting ready to bury your child, which you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. So from there, we, gosh, I can remember that night. I slept in his room while I didn't sleep. I laid in his room, and I was watching out the window, and I watched one star on the wall. And as the morning came, I said, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing. And I don't know why. I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust you that I can do this. So we um, went to the cemetery. I mean, went to the uh, funeral home, and we picked out a casket. And um, we picked out what he was going to wear to be buried in. And, you know, of course, 13 years ago, social media was non-existent pretty much. Texting, you still had to right hit the same number four times to hit an A or whatever, you know what I'm saying, So, or a C. Right. Um, so texting really wasn't happening, so it was people calling each other, and, oh, my gosh, well, he was a, you know, he had just graduated. Right. So, like, a bajillion kids start showing up at my ex-husband's house because he's gone to school right. over there. And 
Um, so people start showing up and, um, you know, here we are and we're spending a lot of time with my ex-husband and his wife and um, Jake did not have a great relationship with her. So, you know, you have a lot of things going on in your mind like, you know, why weren't you nice to my kid and, you know, all those things. So I had to like keep all that in check. And Your um, heart has broken. Oh, my broken is not even the word. I mean, it is so, there is nothing and I have buried Right. Cousin, father, two uncles, all in the same year. My dad and his two brothers, all three got killed in the same year. Wow. Uh, my first husband, um, friends. I buried a lot of people. All my grandparents, you know, I, I buried a lot of right. people. There is nothing like no. burying your burying your child. Nothing. Um, yeah, as a mom, I'm sure as a dad it's hard too, but as a mom, we grew them inside of us. Right. And so it is... Um, it's an extension of you, yeah. and it is. He was my first love. He was yeah. my first true love, uh, other than that addiction to his dad. But, <laughs> you know, he was the first one that loved me back and never yeah. didn't love me. You know what I'm saying? There was a, never a time where I did not think my child loved me. He was mad at me sometimes, but yeah. he never not loved me. And um, so, anyway, we picked out the casket, and we... Picked out his clothes and um, decided where he was going to be buried. And um, and you know what? Pastor Steve's wife, Marsha, and um, I don't know who, maybe Lydia, they came and got our boys. And they kept our boys. so Because they were little. And I didn't, yeah. and Gage had Down syndrome. And right. I did not want that to be their last memory of Jake. I didn't want them to see him in right. a casket. I didn't want them to, um, but also I didn't think about the fact that like one day all of a sudden your brother never comes home again. Right. So um, that was just a, that was just a hard time as like as a parent like how do you decide who goes to the funeral who right. doesn't go to the funeral my ex husband I can't remember if he brought his stepdaughters or not because he was raising one of them and um, she was little and uh, I told him I said I just don't think I want my kids to remember Jake this way. And uh, I said, you have to do what you have to do. And, right. Um, but so um, Jerry is in the music industry at the time. Um, he's a promoter. And uh, Robert Earl Keene was uh-huh. in town to do a show for Jerry. And um, they contacted us and asked if Robert Earl could come and sing at Jake's, wet, at Jake's funeral. And um, I'm pretty sure it's the first time he's ever sang Amazing Grace. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but... but we got there, and um, I'm telling you, there were probably almost 2,000 people there the day after Christmas. Well, it was actually the—he died on a Monday, mm-hmm. and on um, we buried him on—no, he died on a Saturday. I don't know. We buried him on Monday. I think we buried him on Monday. Um, there were probably 2,000 people there. And um, I can remember just a couple of faces as I was walking down the aisles to get to the front of people that I recognized, mm-hmm. and they weren't people— I was just, I don't know why, you know, some mm-hmm. faces you remember during right. that time. And um, so, anyway, the funeral was long. I know it was long, but, you know, some of the kids wanted to talk, and mm-hmm. um, I felt like I needed to talk. And um, I couldn't even tell you what I said at this point. Right. Um, but his youth pastor over at the church that he had found himself Okay. When he moved to his dad's because his dad didn't go to church. Um, oh, he went. He and his friend, his best friend Mark, found a church. And um, 
this kid had told me, he said, um, I can't remember his name, but he said, um, I, I, I go to church with Jake. And I said, you do? And he goes, yeah, you know how I found it? And I said, no. And he goes, I had a flat tire one day and him and his friend Mark stopped and picked me up or stopped and helped me. And uh, they told me that they'd change my tire if I'd go to church with them. And he said, he goes, it was a cool group. And I was like, oh, my God. Just things you don't know about your child, you know. You find out later. So, um, anyway, you you have to pick out tombstones and things that you just never in a million years dreamed of. And um, I'm sitting in the funeral home before we buried him. It's just me and Jake. And the funeral director comes in. And... Um, he asked me if he could get me anything, and I said no. And um, he said, I cannot imagine your loss. He said, we lost a baby. But he said, you had 18 years with this guy. And he said, yeah. you know, he goes, I can't imagine your loss. That guy was like, he was stand-up. He was a good guy. Um, because funeral homes want to sell you something. That's their mm. job. They tried to upgrade everything, and they were very pushy. And this guy stepped in for me over and over again. And um, his boss finally stepped in and said they deal with nobody but him from here on out because mm. he just was very calming. The mm -hmm. other guy was very, you know, you know, this casket was, you know, much better grade, blah, blah, blah. I was like, it's going in the ground, you know. So anyway, it was just a, I don't know why I remember all that, but I do. Mm -hmm. um, the days after, it's. I mean, I can remember walking into his room. Like, every morning I'd just walk into his room, which at that point he's only coming home once, you know, right. every other weekend. But I just I just needed to go to his room every day. Right. Literally just yes. needed to go to his room every day. And uh, so, anyway. So did you feel like I, I can't get up? Or, I mean, like, I would just... If I were in that position, of course I, would, I felt that way. But like, let me just tell you this: okay. we buried him on Monday. You know, we go to church on Saturday night. On um, Saturday morning, I woke up same week, and I told Tom, I said, "We're going to church tonight," and he said, "I think it's too soon." And I said, "I'm just going to tell you right now, if I don't go to church tonight, the devil will get a foothold, and mm. I cannot afford that." And I said, "I'm going to church tonight," mm. and he said, "Okay." So our posse. And mm -hmm. I mean, our posse, there were, I don't even know how many there were. I just remember it was uh, Kevin and Stephanie Black. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say the Bird Songs and maybe the Tices. It was a, it was a mm -hmm. group of people. And my mom, um, we got to church. And uh, they had already made a plan because mm -hmm. Stephanie Black makes a plan. And so we were going to sit on the back row. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know any of this at the time. But anyway, we go and we sit on the back row. And I don't remember what the sermon was about or anything. Um, but apparently I said amen during the service. Mm. So when we were leaving, we left a little bit early. This lady who tends to be a little annoying to a lot of people um, is running down the hallway. Terry, Terry, trying to get to me. And um, everybody was trying to keep her away from me because right. they didn't know what she was going to say. And uh, anyway, she, um, she rushes up to me and... I said, it's okay, it's okay. And so she gets to me, and I turn around, and I said, what? And she goes, I've been praying for you. I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine your loss. And she said, and then I heard you say amen tonight, and I know it's all going to be okay. And I was like, 
you're right, it is. And, you know, she hugged me, and she went on about her way, and we left. And um, and I thought about that a lot. I was like, it is going to be okay. I'm going to live. I remember my grandmother burying all three of her sons, and she was a strong believer <clears throat> in a year. And she she still, she survived. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. she was never the same. Right. You're never the same Mm-mm. after that. Mm-mm. But she still loved Jesus, and her life went on, and... Um, Mm. You know, and I I just told Tom, I said, I can't stop going to church. I just can't mm-hmm. uh, because it would be so easy to let Satan get his foot in the door and and turn me against mm-hmm. everything that I had believed for the last mm-hmm. few years. And yeah, and that I know where the only peace I'm ever going to have at this point comes from. Yes. And so. In that, I just latched on to God. I mean, Mm. I just said, oh, my God, please don't leave me. And I latched on. And my prayer life went from, you know, ground level to uh, I'm in prayer almost all day, every day. I mean, for the first few years after Jake got killed. And I will say that was my sweetest time in my relationship with Christ. Wow. In the last couple of years I've had this prayer going on and I'm like Lord I'm terrified because I really want to be close to you but I don't want to lose anybody no and so he and I've been having this I'm sure he's not having any kind of conversation but I'm having this conversation (laughs) of like Lord I love you and I want to be close I want to be closer to you than I am right now but I know the sweetest time I ever had with you is when Jake got killed and I'm just not I'm not willing to go there right so wow Terry so that's intense uh, it's it's because you do want that relationship. You want to be. You want it to be that sweet. Yeah. It's just terrifying. Yeah. He was your every breath mm-hmm. in that time period. I. Oh my gosh! Yes. Like I. I mean, I before my feet hit the floor, and still to this day, and and that's when my relationship with Christ changed when mm. Jake got killed because at that point, that's all I had. Yeah. That's all I had. I mean, mm-hmm. Tom could not make me feel any mm-hmm. better. My other boys couldn't make me feel any better. Mm-hmm. Nobody could make me feel any better. Mm-hmm. But when I went to the Lord mm-hmm. and completely surrendered to Him every morning, mm-hmm. then I got that peace. Yeah. You know, and there's days that, you know, I'd have to go back a thousand times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember driving down the road. I got pulled over about two weeks after Jake got killed. I was doing 90. And... um I had Jake's picture in the front seat. I was sobbing. I don't even know what I was doing. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the first right. few months, literally, I drove around sometimes all day long, and I'd get home, and Thomas go, where have you been? I was like, I don't know. I don't even remember where I went. Anyway, the guy pulls me over. He was a young kid. And uh, he pulls me over, and he goes, ma'am, do you know you're doing 87 or whatever in a 55? And I was <laughs> like, and I'm sobbing. He goes, is something wrong? And so I told him my story, uh-huh. and he said, oh, my gosh, you have got to slow down. He goes, I'm sorry. I know that this is a hard time for you. And I said, please wear your seatbelt. And he said, I'm sorry. And call your mama. He said, yes, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. He let me go. He didn't give me a ticket. Teenagers have the lowest rate of seatbelt use among all age groups. As a result, motor vehicle accidents are the number one cause of death among teen drivers. Eight people between the ages of 16 and 19 die every day from car wrecks. 
Terry experienced what it was like to be the mother of one of those eight. She couldn't stand for anyone else to go through this pain, so she decided to do something about it. About a year after Jake got killed, I had a dream about a billboard. Mm -hmm. It was just a weird dream I had, Mm -hmm. and I could see Jake's face on this billboard. And so I kind of put it out of my mind, and Mm -hmm. so then I had another dream, and then I just couldn't quit thinking about Jake's face on a billboard. So I thought a lot about the fact that Jake was not wearing a seatbelt when he was killed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, of course, there were other variables to his wreck. I mean, Jake was trying to get to his girlfriend. He had bought her this little dog for Christmas, and he was leaving my grandmother's house, mm-hmm. and he was going to go pick up the dog and take it to Leslie's house. And so he thought he was going to be late, mm-hmm. so he was speeding. And the highway patrol got him behind him to pull him over, and he decided he would outrun the highway patrol. So he tried to run, had a blowout doing 90 to 100 and flipped his vehicle and it went across all four lanes on the highway 80 and the median and landed on the roof. He was ejected at some point. And, um, so that's how Jake was killed. But, you know, I can't, I couldn't do a billboard of, hey, don't run from the police and drive 90 or check your tires and, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So I had to figure out what it is. So I started investigating and I realized that 40% of young people between the ages of like 14 and 21 are not wearing their seatbelts when they get killed. 40% to this day. Wow. And uh, that's mind-blowing. First of all, how does the dinging not drive you crazy? Well, guess what? Nick at Poteet High School told me. He's like, you just turn the music up. Oh. He's like, and then another kid in the class said, well, my car doesn't ding like that because we just disconnected it. Oh. Um, And then another kid said, big boy, like six foot tall, said, Miss Terry, was your son's name Jake? And I said, yes. Now, at this point, we've been doing Billboard Campaign for 12 years, Mm -hmm. 11, 12 years. And I said, yes. And I said, how do you know that? And he goes, because there was a billboard by my house when I was a little kid. And my mom and I would talk about it every day. And he goes, I just always wear my seatbelt. He wow. goes, because my mom told me she wants me to come home every day. And I was like, wow. So. You have made an impact. So Nick, sitting on the front row, I said, Nick, why don't you wear your seatbelt? And he goes, I don't like it. My mom didn't wear hers. And he goes, you know, it just wrinkles your clothes. And, you know, he had a thousand excuses. And I said, Nick, are you and your mom close? And he goes, yes, we're very close. And I said, do you want to see your mom cry the rest? I said, would you like for your mom to cry the rest of her life? And he goes, no. And I said, well, you know what? Jake's mom cries every day for the rest of her life because he didn't wear his seatbelt. I said, it's a really easy fix. Put on your damn seatbelt. Yeah. And the teacher was like, ooh. So Josh Ross, (laughs) he was like, ooh. So anyway, Josh sent me an email like two weeks later and said, Nick, tell me to tell you he's been wearing his seatbelt. Oh, so tell me about your campaign. What is it called? It's called Click It, the number four, Life. And um, just some people from the church got together with me, and we started um, this foundation. And um, we put billboards up. Mm -hmm. We started just around Dallas and Fort Worth because Jake's dad lived over in that area. So we started there. It's now we had the last round was all the way from Austin to Abilene. Wow. And um, I've had them in Arizona. I've had them in Portland. Um, Wow. So, well, it's just a connection that I have with this lady who donates a lot. And so I just try to put them where my donors are. Yeah. Um, 
I try to put them close to colleges or high schools. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's on roads close to lakes or, okay. you know, some other kind of uh, event center or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to put them close to places where there's going to be kids or in the car. Right. Um, and I use Jake's face. I've used, uh, we've had uh, two other cousins that were killed the same year. Wow. One was killed texting and driving the other had just gotten a ticket for no seatbelt the week before. Oh, wow. And she was killed not wearing her seatbelt, and they found the ticket at the scene of the accident. So those are cousins on Tom's side of the family, and they were both 18, I think. And uh, so we lost all three of those in one year. And um, so I've used one of the moms said, I just can't. Use, I just can't see my child's face on a billboard. The other mom has let me use her child's face, and mm. so we've done hers. Then this year before last, one of my former employees um, posted, oh, this is the anniversary of my wreck. So I did some investigation. She had had an accident texting and driving, mm-hmm. ran in, I think, into the back end of an 18-wheeler, and uh, she was in ICU for a long time, almost got killed. And anyway, she got married. So she had posted pictures of a wreck and her wedding day. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what a huge yes. deal. Started looking. Distracted driving is off the charts these days. Yes. It's, it's as big as uh, drinking and driving. Wow. So I contacted her, and I said, can I use your story? And she's like, yeah. So now we have that. And okay. it's basically Leslie in the hospital bed where she's just almost dead and um, a picture of her and her new husband, and wow. it says, almost missed it. Wow. Don't text and drive. Wow. So. So where could we find that? Uh, well, I have what a website. website. Okay. It's called clickitforlife.net. Okay. And um, you can donate there to help me get the word out. I mm-hmm. try to do it during the summertime, which most kids are on the road in the summertime. Yes. Sometimes I do it during spring break if I have enough money, but I always do it during Christmas because okay. everybody's yeah. home from the holidays and they're trying to see all their friends and, you know, everybody's partying and hanging out. Yeah. And so I try to do it during those times because those are more highly traveled. Right. By youth. And, um... So, you know, it's... So your life took a a direction that you did not plan. I did not plan. But you're doing it, you're using all of this for good because people will wear their seatbelts and people will pay attention. No, people, young people will wear their seatbelts if parents will not only model it, but if they'll talk to them more about it. Okay. Um, Kids... Kids resonate more with like real life stories. Yes, that's why reality yes. TV is so big. Yes, um, that's not our generation, right? But it is that yeah. uh, thirty, that millennial kind of thirty year old something that they need a face to resonate with, and so um, it is. It's just putting the face and death date out there and say, "Hey, this can happen to you." Yeah, and um, had a had a client and her oldest son I think was just starting to drive and he was supposed to only drive in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and so we had a billboard up on 635 uh-huh. and um, Brian comes home and he said he was just in tears and mom said what's wrong and he goes I just saw Miss Terry's son on a billboard and he said I just didn't realize he looks like me oh. and um, she said well I'm so glad that that has hit you like this right but what were you doing on 635 <laughs> you know so that is not your neighborhood <laughs> But it caused a lot of conversation. And so, anyway, Brian has told me numerous times over the years, you know, I wear my seatbelt. I was like, good, Brian. Oh, my goodness. Well, looking back, 
what would you tell your 15-year-old self? My 15-year-old self? Ooh. Um, put down that needle. Mm. <laughs> put down that bottle. Mm. Focus on, you know, school. Mm-hmm. Get You know, uh, build your foundation. Mm. Build your foundation before you... Yeah. Do any of those crazy things. And don't do any of those crazy things, really. But yeah. um, I don't 15 years old, gosh, I was such a mess at 15. By 15, I was such a mess. I'd go back to 13 and say, mm. you know, get a good group of friends who mm. are doing the right thing. Go to church. Yeah. Um, you know, find a core group of people that are going to mm-hmm. support you. And, yeah. Um, and love you through things, and um, gosh, I don't know. Um, don't don't burn all your bridges. Yeah, you didn't burn one bridge ever with Jesus. When a good God allows pain into our lives, it can be hard to see the end of the tunnel. Sometimes all you can do is get in your car and drive, even if you don't know where you're going. But Terry made a choice in the middle of her pain. Her choice was not easy, but it was simple. She didn't burn her bridges, not like she used to, not with people, not with Jesus. Even though she couldn't understand what God was doing, she kept her relationship with Him. He wouldn't let you burn that bridge. Mm -mm. So what is your hope? What is my hope? Well, I've got um, Gage is still at home with Down syndrome, which... I say that all kind of tongue-in-cheek because Gage won't be at home forever because he doesn't want to be at home forever. Right. Um, Gage, we're just trying to help Gage figure out what his next step is. Yeah. Um, My youngest one went to the Army Mm -hmm. in May, and so he's finishing up boot camp and is headed out to Germany, I think. That could all change, but that's at this point. Now Terry's ears are open, listening for others who are in pain, like she was. My hope is that um, I just get plugged in where God wants me to be plugged in, to be aware of my surroundings, uh, meaning when somebody's crying out for help, yeah, that I hear it, because sometimes they don't use words. Oh, absolutely. Your life is amazing. No, you did. It was <sighs> awesome. Thank you, and I sure appreciate you. So make sure you check out clickitforlife.net. And the Artistic Edge Hair Salon. Thank with you. K. With a K. <laughs> Thank you so much, Terry Hoover. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kaval the Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that you will subscribe, download, and share this on your social media pages and with your family and friends. If you find yourself in a desperate place, it is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you and shared their stories. They have exemplified the meaning of Kava, learning to wait during difficult times to find an eventual positive outcome. I can't express my gratitude for my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I would not be able to do this without you. For more information, please visit kavathepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.